Merry Christmas, Christchurch. Y'all did that so much better than the 5 p.m. service. I have to tell you, don't tell them that, although I think we're live streaming this, so 5 p.m. if you're watching again, they did it better in here, 7 o'clock. Um, I want to welcome you tonight, just a warm uh, welcome to you on a cold night, but a warm welcome to you uh, who might be visiting with us tonight, who might have come with fr friends or family or maybe returned from college and uh, getting to come and worship tonight with Christ Church, maybe uh, just looking for a church tonight, you Googled and found this church, and um, if that's the case, we're delighted to be worshiping with you this evening. There's something magical about Christmas Eve. As the sun has set and darkness has fallen down and the lights just seem, the candle lights just seem to shine more brightly. You know, it's one of the, the themes of some of the scriptures you just heard read that light is shining in the midst of darkness. That Isaiah scripture, there's a deep darkness on the land, but the light has shined into it. And you remember just one candlelight lights up a dark room, but in Jesus, we have the true light God, who is the light of the world, stepping down into the darkness and giving light for all to see. I want you to try something with me, if you would. Uh, take a deep breath. If everyone would, take a deep breath. The air you are breathing right now is air that God has breathed. Look at the table right here. You look at the candles. You look at the trees. You are seeing the world, not just that God made, but the world that God saw. You're sitting in a seat, feeling what it is to sit. You're hearing the shuffling of neighbors. You can feel the, the shoulder of a family member or maybe a, a friend or perhaps even a stranger next to you. You are living in a world that God has both made and entered right now. We celebrate Christmas, the feast of the incarnation, that creator God has come near, has stepped down, has descended and become creature. And I love this artwork right here. It's on the cover of your bulletin, um, and uh, we'll, we'll have it up for most of the night. It's called Nativity with the Prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel, and it just captures some of this magic in the light that I'm talking about. That's um, Isaiah on the left with the, uh, the, the longer beard and hair, and Ezekiel on the right. Isaiah's holding the scroll uh, where it says it's the prophecy, his name will be called Emmanuel. And, um, and you can see all the different figures uh, that you would expect to see there. There's angels looking in. There's uh, the, the donkey and the, the ox are leaning over the manger. Um, down here in the corner, John the Baptist is there, the forerunner, and then shepherds. Um, an angel in the middle right has another scroll that says, uh, Glad tidings I bring to you, uh, that today that a Savior has been born, speaking to the shepherds. But the focal point next to Mary, the focal point of this whole image is a baby. A child is the center of attention. It's what captures your attention, what captures your imagination. This, um, this image, it's glittering with gold. Uh, this is from, uh, it's from, taken from an altar in Italy where for several centuries, uh, this was the main uh, altar triptych, uh, the main artwork over the altar. And it, can you imagine going every week to worship and this becomes the backdrop of your worship? Like you hear scripture read, like you just heard scripture read, and your focal point is on this child. Or you would hear a sermon, like you're listening to a sermon right now, and you're looking at these angels who bend down to worship. Or you'd come forward to receive communion, the body, broken body, poured out blood of our Savior, and this is the background. This is what you're looking at. This is the imagination that fills your mind. Our God has stepped down. Divinity has entered the world. 
The question we ask tonight, and this is what I want us to just spend a few minutes reflecting on and thinking about, is why did he do it? Why does God step down into the world? Why is he born in the manger? Why, uh, why is this the, the, the method that he uses to enter our world 2,000 years ago? And one of the things, and, and this contributes to the magic of Christmas, is there, there's these carols that we just get to sing every year. And if you've been coming on Sunday mornings, you know we delay uh, Christmas all the way up until right now. We don't sing the Christmas carols until this evening. And this evening, we've been longing to hear these familiar tunes that retell the story of the birth of Christ. And they start to give explanation. Why did God step down? So just a minute ago, and you can even turn back in your bulletin so you can see these words. We were singing, angels we have heard on high. And listen to this line that it's got. I think this is the second or third stanza. It says, come to Bethlehem and see Christ whose birth the angels sing. The angels singing down. Come adore on bended knee. Christ the Lord, the newborn king. There's an emphasis on king. Come and worship the king. Why was he born? Because the long-awaited king has come to his people. You know, we have these stories scattered about uh, all in different cultures, but stories of a king that will come back to his people to set the world right. You think all the way back to King Arthur, and, um, and his name, you might have heard this before, Arthur was called the once and future king. The king who came once, and established Camelot, but he would come again and perfectly make it just and right. Or maybe you know the, the Robin Hood legends. And with Robin Hood, Robin Hood is fighting for the good King Richard. But Prince John and this wicked sheriff have made things all a mess. And so they're waiting for good King Richard to come back and to put to rights all that's gone wrong. They want the king to come near. Or maybe you've just read Lord of the Rings and you know that third Lord of the Rings book is called The Return of the King, and there's prophecies all the way out through all the books that say when the king comes, there will be healing in his hands, and all the roads and all the highways will be opened because he will make the land secure. Like, we'll be able to live peacefully in that time. There are these stories that we have that the king will come to his people. Why is Jesus born? Why is God, why does he step down into the world? It's because the king wants to be with his people. He wants to set the world right. So he comes to be born. But even deeper than that, even deeper than that, in a moment, we're going to sing another carol. You can flip forward in your bulletins a few pages to find what child is this. What child is this? I remember I was 22, and I was um, newly married, and my wife and I were attending a church service, and uh, it was a Christmas Eve church service much like this one. And how many times have I heard, what child is this in my life? You know, for dozens, perhaps hundreds and maybe you have heard that song so many times too, but do you know sometimes you just kind of pay attention and, and it hits you fresh. And since that moment, uh, almost 20 years ago, I can't get through what child is this without just being pierced uh, emotionally by this line. Look at this. This, again, second stanza. Good Christians fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Speaking about the, the baby in the manger. Good Christians here. The silent word is pleading. And then this part, nails and spears will pierce him, child through. The cross be born for me, for you. This, this is Christ the King, the babe, the son of Mary. It starts to explain why God has stepped down. The king coming to fix the, the world for his people has stepped down in anticipation of the cross. His stepping down is the first step towards the giving away of his life. 
It's a really incredible story when you think about it, and a familiar story for us. And the problem with familiar stories is no matter how good they are, they become, um, they, they just, we, we skip over the, the phantasm of it. You know, we, we were numb to the reality that God's actually done this. God stepped into the world. So I was kind of thinking about this earlier this month, and um, I was just kind of, I was reflecting uh, on the name Emmanuel, God with us. And I was just thinking, gosh, what does that even mean? I mean, like, what can't God do? Like, have you ever thought about, we probably think a lot of what God can do. We pray, God, would you do this? Would you do that? But have you ever thought about what God can't do? There's not much to it when you think about it. I mean, he's kind of omnipotent. That's the fancy word that means he can do everything. So there's not much he can't do. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. You know that word means he knows everything. He's omnipresent. It means he's everywhere. What can't God do? Then you start to think about what he's made, and God's made the galaxies, he's made the stars, he's made the sun, the moon, and you come closer to earth and what he's made. He's made the oceans and even the deep Mariana trenches and even those little fish with no eyes and the the lamp bulb thing that live in the body. He's made those, you know, with the sharp teeth. I know about that through the documentary Finding Nemo is where I'm most familiar with those. He's made those. He's made the high mountains, the Himalayas, and all the other types. of What can't God do? And then I, th- I thought, I just had this kind of, I-, I thought this is maybe just a word, like the Holy Spirit just speaking to me directly. What can't God do? He couldn't bleed until he took on a body. And for a king to want to come near his people, for a king who says, I give my life away, what can't God do? He couldn't bleed. And so he comes closer near to enter into our space to enter into our world. God chose to become human, to know and feel how we feel at our highs, at our lows, at our despairs, to experience our struggles, to rescue us. God chose our side. And there's a word when someone chooses your side or chooses to stand with you, chooses to be with you. We call this word solidarity. And it means standing as one, like a solid wall. So you'll often hear solidarity like, uh, political parties will come together. They'll make a political party like we're, we're united in this. We're, we're one kind of force together. We're amplifying our voices uh, in this measure because we're in solidarity with one another. Or you'll hear trade unions being established and we're going to stand against uh, the, the practices of the employers and we're stronger if we stand together. So it's, it's a way of kind of strengthening by standing together. God enters solidarity with humans. He enters solidarity with you and me, making us all the stronger, we who have nothing to offer, and him saying, I cast myself with them. I cast myself with the humans. God chose our side. I want to show you some more artwork, and if this one emphasizes the divinity of God, God stepping down, the divinity of Jesus, these next two are really going to emphasize his humanity. He's chosen to stand with us. Let's look at this next one. This is Jose y Maria, and um, this is, uh, it's, it's actually a Christmas card by this guy, Everett Patterson. He made a Christmas card for his family back in 2014, and maybe one of them just somehow uploaded it to the internet, and then poof, it's viral every single Christmas. He works for the Bible Project as a cartoonist, and there's all sorts of Bible references in this scene. It's worth going to find later on, and, and he, in an article I read from him, there's about 12 different references in here. I couldn't find them all, so maybe you can. But I want to point a few out to you. Mary is on this rocking horse here, and at the very bottom in graffiti, uh, on the left in blue, it says word. On the right in red, it says flesh. The word became flesh. You see that uh, little plant there at the bottom? 
my imagination, that is, uh, a shoot will spring up from the stump of, of David. Like just something breaking through, some new life. On the payphone that, uh, that Joseph is calling from, on the side scribbled is a phone number, but it says Zeke 34, 15, 16. That's a reference to Ezekiel 34 and the prophecy that one day a good shepherd will go who will rescue the sheep, not just the sheep of Israel, but all of the lost sheep. It's worth going to spend some time with this. And um, here's, as I look at this, and I think of God choosing, whose side is God on? Here's how God chose to be born in this world. God's born into the world with parents like this calling for housing assistance. God's born in a controversial birth to a teenage mom with rumors about whether or not Joseph was really the father. God is born into the world as a homeless child outside of medical care. Let's look at the next picture. This is uh, Holy Family of the Streets by Kelly Lattimore. He's an iconographer. And Christchurch, you actually got this for me as a gift several months back. I have it hanging in my office. And um, this is... Probably Jesus at this point is less than two years old, but God, when he is born, immediately there is political animosity against him. There is a, a decree that goes out to find all the children, all the male boys, about two years old and, and under, and to put them to death. And so his family flees political persecution. They become asylum seekers. Jesus and the Holy Family flee to Egypt where they will seek refuge uh, for a season before he'll eventually come up. And just as a quick aside, uh, someone pointed out to me once, Egypt in Scripture is often characterized in a, a bad sort of way. They're the enemies of, of God in the Old Testament, and it's true. But if you've ever talked with an Egyptian Christian or perhaps a Coptic Christian, um, one of the things they're so proud of is that their nation, Egypt, got to carry and protect the Holy Family. That there's this like flipping on its head that those who have been the enemies of God suddenly are gifted the ability to be protector of God and how powerful that is for them. Jesus would later return to Israel only to be rejected by the people he loved and cared for the most. I look at these two images, and again, you, all three of them are needed. How divine Jesus is, how human he is. In the ancient world, they believed the gods were always on the side of the powerful and the strong, not the weak and the lowly. So the first Caesar, Octavius, he would take the name Augustus. He declared himself to be the son of a god. You know, he's, he's got divinity in his blood. That's why he's ruling everyone else. In the Persian and the Babylonian empires, it's the same thing, that they had these mythologies that obviously the king and the palace guard were favored by the gods and even related to them in their bloodline, but everyone else is just a menial slave in society and needs to be stuck there to work and to feed up the chain, the powerful ones. We still have this belief around today where we sometimes meet a very wealthy or powerful person and we say they must be especially blessed. Fortune has smiled on them. They've had good luck in their life. But who does God side with? Christianity, when Jesus comes, this is so other than anything else the world has ever seen. Jesus comes for the poor and the sick, not the healthy, not the powerful. He's born in Bethlehem, an outskirt village, not Rome. You know, he's not born in Ephesus, the, uh, an economic banking center. He's born on the edge of the Roman Empire, born to a teenage virgin named Mary into a manger. And in that manger, God enters history. In that moment, God enters and becomes human. God chooses solidarity with us. 
Someone reminded me this past year, Jesus came for the catfish of society, those who are on the bottom of the pond, you know, the bottom feeders. He comes for the catfish. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who see that God came for them. Maybe it's blessed are those who see that we're catfish, we're, we're at the bottom. He didn't come, God didn't come as a conquering king to identify with the emperors. He, became, he came as the king to identify with the poor who allowed himself to be conquered. You know, you could say it this way, that the center of Christmas, why did he come and what's this all about? I could just say it real simply, um, Christmas is about God's justice and God's mercy. You know, the world is absolutely broken and you know that, you don't need me to tell you that. You can look around at all the news. I don't know if there, there's a, um, some images going around of Kiev uh, this Christmas. And if you've seen, I never had noticed this before, but pictures of uh, Kiev, Ukraine over the past couple years, this huge Christmas tree, lights everywhere. And this year it's a very sparse and little tree. There's effects of the wars going on. There is brokenness in the world. You think closer to home, not just abroad, closer to home. Here in the streets, we just had this, uh, this cold snap come through, and um, there's a group of Christ churchers on the streets these, uh, these past couple days taking um, jackets and blankets and warming gloves and different items to those on the streets, and just hearing the stories of people who are living outdoors uh, who have been abandoned or kicked out or expelled from family or who have isolated themselves from family. You just can't help but realize there is a brokenness immediately before us. And in, in some sense, it's easy, in fact, even to see brokenness abroad and brokenness near. The next brokenness is challenging to see, but I believe it to be true of everyone in this room. And that is that each of us carry brokenness. Each of us have done things and have chosen to do things, and even as Christ followers, sometimes continue to choose to do things that bring violence and pain and hurt to other people's lives. And if you've ever had one of those moments where you know you're in a bad mood and you're just acting like a total jerk to other people, but you just can't seem to snap out of it, that's like the very modest, least 1% form of what I'm talking about. You know, if you've ever uh, chosen to, to take something for yourself, that's just, that's greed is what that is, if it's at the expense of another person. If you've ever thought of yourself better than you are and it causes you to act differently towards other people, pride. And that, that's just the, the seeds of the, all the different ways that spills out in life. Is the world broken? Yes, it is. And according to the strictest laws, justice should come and do something about the brokenness of the world. Except that the brokenness of the world and strictest justice would include judging you and me and finding us not measuring up. So why does Jesus come? Why does God come? Because on the one hand, justice, the frank acknowledgement the world is broken, and I contribute to that brokenness. And then this deeper reality, mercy. That in the goodness of God and in the love of God and in the care of God, he still wants justice. And yet he loves each and every one of us enough that none of us should have to experience the consequences of justice. Rather, he would freely do that for himself because he's chosen to be able to bleed. Think again, whose side is God on? Whose side is he on? Isn't that, that's, whose side is, is someone on? That's usually a main question we ask when we've got like a work project. Like, who's going to be on my team? Who's doing this with me? Who's got to go before the boss or the clients with me? Who's making the pitch with me? You want to know whose side is on because you want to know if there's some people who are going to work hard and, and be on your team with you. Or when you're in a moment of crisis and you just feel like bills aren't being paid or um, you're just in a difficult spot, you want to know who's got your back. 
You know, who's going to stand there with you when things are really getting tough? Maybe when you've been hurting other people, who's going to stand there with you? Who's on your side is a question we ask a lot of times. Here's the miracle of Christmas is that God has chosen a side. Love has chosen a side, and he's chosen to stand with you. Like wherever you are right now, God has chosen that he would rather stand with you than stand against you. He prefers to stand in solidarity with you as long as you recognize that you're poor and you're broken and you need his help. Then he chooses to stand with you. The, um, where, where I live, we have a, a real uh, tiny backyard, but right behind our fence, there is this kind of retention area and it backs up to a farm. So uh, we can see out for just such great distance. And we get all these like animal visitors in our backyard. So yesterday, in fact, we saw some coyotes running across the field. There's one of our neighbors has been throwing her meat out into the middle of the field, which is not a great idea at all. <laughs> There's leftover things that she's cooking. And, but I've seen the meat. It's out there. And so the, some of the coyotes are coming in. I've seen some deer running through. And I'm always like, guys, not at the same time when the coyotes are here. You know, just make sure you're safe. We get a ton of birds back there, and the red-tailed hawks and northern mockingbirds, wrens and finches of all sorts, doves flying around back there. We get hummingbirds in the spring back there, uh, all sorts of things. It reminded me, uh, all the birds that we see reminded me of this story I heard from a man a few years ago. He was telling a story um, about uh, he lives up in the northeast, and it was one of those places of the country where the winter lasts really long, um, well into the spring. So it's probably March, and there's snow still on the ground. And at that point, the birds have returned, and they've, they've got their nests, and they've laid their eggs, and some of the chicks are being born. And he says one day he notices one of the chicks is, it's got the feathers on, but it's not strong enough to fly. But it tries to fly out of the nest. And as it tries to fly out of the nest, it falls uh, to the ground and hits and hurts itself quite badly. He hears it squawking out there. And it's kind of limping around on its side and can't get up. And he realizes this little bird is out in the snow. And if it stays out there, it's going to be picked up by a predator of some sort or it's simply going to freeze. So he goes out there to try and help the bird. And as he's going near it, he starts to come near this bird, and the bird just starts squawking and flapping around. And as it does, he can tell it's hurting him. It's hurting the, board, the bird more to run away from him. So he says, I'm, it's obvious I'm so big. I need to get down on its level. So he shrinks down, and he comes close to the bird again. And it again just starts flapping and screeching and trying to move itself and hurting itself in the process of doing this. So he gets down even lower on its level, just trying to be able to pick it up to take it into the warmth. The bird screeches and squawks, and he just had this thought, and I remember hearing this, where he said, if I could just become a bird and tell this bird, assure this bird, I'm not trying to hurt you, I'm trying to help you, let me carry you back to safety. Why does God choose to be born? Because he wants to stand on our side. He is never against you. He is always for you. And so this Christmas season, I don't know where you might be, but just perhaps a reflection I can invite you into, that if you have things that you are wrestling with, maybe like legitimately you got bills and you're wondering, how are these being paid? How is the, the paycheck going to make ends meet? Maybe you've got um, this year you've lost someone in your life, and this is the first Christmas without them. Or you've got just a loneliness that you feel that's causing you, even in your mind, to have some darker thoughts that you're experiencing. Maybe you have been bitter towards someone who's hurt you, or maybe you regret the way you've hurt others, but you can't seem to reconcile a relationship. Can I encourage you this Christmas season to have faith in the one who stands on your side, to have hope and believe that he is for you, not against you, that he has come down from the highest heavens to become on our level 
to bring help and to bring aid and to fix what is wrong with the world. That is God's stance towards us. And when we talk about the message that the angels heard, we can understand with a message like that why they would sing Gloria and Excelsis Deo. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.